be seated and we're going to jump right into our lesson. So I want you to see this passage of scripture. We're going to look at the first four verses and then I'll emphasize verse four again. But last week, as we wrapped up timeless truths for all seasons, we focused on the fact of the value that God has placed on the church, that the church is the pillar and the foundation of truth, that the church is the bride of Christ, that that God is working through the church to bring glory to himself, And as glory comes to God, lives will be transformed and people will come to know salvation through Jesus Christ. The church is so critically important to the Lord that to establish the church, Jesus Christ, the one and only unique Son, had to die die on a cross. So we know how important the church is to God. We know what the church cost God. And so we are people who come together as a family here at Kentwood Christian Church because we are a body of believers. We are a family. And I just want to stress this morning that God is always gathering his people through history bringing them together for His glory to assemble and to worship Him. And we have gathered here this morning. We have assembled to honor and give thanks to our God. So Isaiah the book is a book about a disobedient people of God. It is about disobedient of the people of Israel. And God, therefore, intervenes because of their disobedience. And He sends them off into Babylonian captivity. And they undergo harsh treatment. They are taken away from their homes. Many separated from their families. And they find themselves in an extended period of captivity. Now, if we just sort of think about what that really means to be taken off into captivity, we all understand that that is not a good thing to experience. No one wants to be taken away from their home and their lifestyle and their family and in many ways imprisoned and enslaved. But this was all at the hand of of the God of the people of Israel. Although Israel was the apple of God's eye, it was God who intervened and said, because you have chosen the wrong path, have not been obedient, I am going to discipline you. We see the same teaching in the book of Hebrews that God disciplines the children He loves. That's the way God works in our lives disciplining us to gain our attention so that we would once again 
realize that what we're going through is not good. It's not what we desire. It's not the life we hope for. Where have I gone wrong? And our eyes look back to the Lord. And we fall on our knees. And with raised hands in contrition and surrender, we call on the name of the Lord. Well, Isaiah 60, the verse behind me, verse 1 is God telling the people of Israel who are in captivity that I'm going to do something for you. And it will be something that the people of Israel will experience. And future generations will enjoy the church. But I want you to see, He says to the people, Arise and shine. Arise and shine. Who grew up with someone in your household trying to wake you up as a kid saying, rise and shine. That was one of my dad's favorite expressions, rise and shine. It's like, I heard that a thousand times because he was an early person. Everybody else needed to be up. I don't know if that's where that expression comes from, but arise and shine. I know arise means get up. And I know shine is this metaphor To shine and reflect what God has done in your lives as His people coming together. For your light has come and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. Verse 2, see, darkness covers the earth and thick darkness is over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you and His glory appears over you. Verse 3, nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. And so here we have this prophecy of what God will do both for his people Israel and ultimately his church as he gathers them together in the person of Jesus Christ who is the light that is rising and the day that is dawning. And we, with God's people, Israel, should rise and shine and let this truth be known in our lives. Look what he goes on to say here in verse 4. Lift up your eyes and look about you. All assemble come to you. And that really is the stress. I said last week there's a saying that's been going around for about 10 years that I've been aware of. But it is the same that says of people, God's people, give me Jesus, but not the church. That saying is still pretty prevalent, prevalent, I believe. Give me Jesus, but not the church. Well, here, even in Isaiah, as we see God bringing Jesus Christ, the light of the world, to shine on His people and all the world, exposing the darkness, but it brings people into salvation and those people arise and they shine and they look around and they see the great assembly and they see God bringing people from the north and the east and the west and the south from all corners of the earth, every tribe and every language. That is what God is doing from the very beginning. Now, I want you to think about that with me, that we are to be people that understand 
that the assembly, the church gathering, is critically important to God. What it costs Him and our place in it. There is no better passage of Scripture that shows the importance of the church and the glory that brings God in the process of living a life out loud in terms of honoring and recognizing your place in the church than the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, the people are without a shepherd. Jesus has been crucified, and those who were closest to him in many ways have lost hope. They're going their own direction. And we find that at the crucifixion of Jesus, not many really understood, if any, what he meant when he said, destroy this temple, and in three days I will rebuild it. We know now on the other side that he's talking about crucify and kill me, and yet I will raise myself by the power of God on the third day. And that's exactly what happened. And so in this Acts chapter 2 story, we see that God once again draws a scattered people back together as he sends the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit begins to cause the people of God, specifically here it seems to be his apostles, to speak in unknown languages, but being able to communicate in those foreign languages to the people that have gathered in Jerusalem for this day of Pentecost. And hearts are moved, and Peter begins to preach the first sermon ever about what God was doing in the person of Jesus Christ. And Peter stresses to people, you have been living in darkness. The religious leaders, you have gone astray. But now Christ has resurrected and he lives and his light once again shines and salvation is found in him and him alone. And he stresses, you have had a part in the death of Jesus Christ. You crucified him. You handed him over to Pilate. You own the sin that's in your life. But now that sin... That sin can be forgiven when you come to Jesus Christ. And the Spirit moved on the hearts of people at that message. And we find out that 3,000 plus people come to the Lord because of that message. Now, it wasn't because Peter was the best speaker. It was because the Spirit of God and the anointing on Peter's word, God moved, drawing people together, convicting hearts. And this morning, my hope is that the word of God is convicting your heart to understand that he is calling you to be a part of his church family, his great assembly. And if you're here and you've obeyed the good news that Peter preached to repent, to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, 
God bless you. You are filled with the Holy Spirit. You have the hope and promise of new life and eternal life. And you are blessed among many, many people. But if you're here today and you've not made that confession of faith, if you've not turned away from your sin, if you've not acknowledged your need for Jesus, and you're willing to do that, you can have His promise of eternal salvation for your life. What happens after we make the great confession? What happens after we repent and turn away from a lifestyle that was not God-honoring but more self-serving? What does it look like? I've seen people make the great confession. I've seen people be baptized. Only in a short time to turn and walk away from the Lord's church. There was something, something missing in their life. And Peter talks about what was missing in their life, starting at verse 42. And as we look at that, I would like to just encourage and challenge you on a personal level as I'm challenging and encouraging myself. Where do you find yourself with what Peter addresses as the next step after the repentance, the confession, and the baptism? What is the walk of your life to look like? Duke brought up our mission statement, being disciples who live and love like Jesus. What a challenge that is. But that is our mission, to be like Jesus. Well, here's what Peter says in Acts chapter 2. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. We're going to see four things that happen in the church of God if it is a church that is honoring the Scriptures and the Heavenly Father. In our lives, we all must come to terms with, is this a part of your daily life? Is this a part of who you are? Because the view that you have of what God has done for you and what it has cost Him and the position you now live in because of His grace in your life, are your actions and your deeds and your passions and your devotions changing? And here we are told that the early church on that powerful day of Pentecost and the movement of the Holy Spirit, that after so many come to know the Lord in a saving way, that what we see as they progressed on throughout all of their lives until their deaths was they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. For us, that would be to say we are devoting ourselves to Scripture. What is it in your life that is your passion that you find yourself truly devoting yourself Some might say it's golf. 
And if it's golf, then you're learning the swings, and you're learning how to putt, and you're learning how to drive, and you, you have this gear and that gear because gear does matter, but you pour yourself in to golfing. If it's fishing, oh, some of the, the fishermen at church that would tell you, this is the way you fish, and this is the bait you use, and this is the line, and, and this is, you turn the motor off, and you this is the area that you want your you know, your hook and line to go into. It just goes on and on and on. I'm just saying there are things that we're passionate about. Some, it's history. They want to know World War II history. They want to know the Revolutionary War. And they just memorize, learn all they can about a given subject. But here, the people of God are to be devoted, devoted to the Scriptures. Now, honestly, is that a statement that represents you in your life and your daily walk with God. We, we, we're sort of easy on ourselves. And we might say, well, it, no, it's not me, and I have a hard time reading, or I don't like to read, or I'm not a good reader, or we give all these different excuses, or, or once a week, you know, I'll look at the Scriptures a little bit, and that's, surely that's good enough. You know, as I say this, the Spirit, I, I believe, would have to convict any of us. That's not true. It's not true. The people of God are devoted. They pour their lives into the Scriptures. Yes, we all work 40, 50, 60 hours a week. And yes, someone might say, well, Patrick, it's easy for you. It's your job. Well, there's a truth to that. But the other side that most people don't know There's a difference in studying for a sermon or to teach a class or a small group material that's being created and sitting before the Scriptures to hear from God. There's a big difference. We all, each and every one of us, are to be devoted to the Scriptures. And if you're not, I would simply ask you, why not? Because that is what God wants. And that is what draws you closer to your God. That is what keeps you walking in a way that you know that you're honoring God. In 1 Thessalonians, it talks about that in the end times, many will be led astray. And do you know what reason it gives for people being led astray? Because... They refuse to love the truth. Refuse to love the truth. And so I just want to simply say, let each and every one of us, whether it's in small group, or it's a Bible class, or it's personal devotion at home, be in the Scriptures daily. Because that is a blessing to your life, It honors God, and it's a reflection of how committed you are to Him because He 
upholds the words of truth, the words of life. And you can memorize the Bible, at least most of us cannot. We, we can't have a go-to passage that we might need to meditate on if something's going on in lives. We've got to know the Scripture. One of the greatest men I have ever heard speak once told me that he finds that the most important thing in his life is that he has to lay down in the Scriptures and let them just saturate who he is. And I hope that that's what you will begin to do more and more. Some people say, I, I, I would give anything to know what that person knows about the Scripture. I'd, I'd give half of my life. And the answer is, that's probably what that person gave. Are you devoted to the Scriptures? And then with equal force, this devotion is also tied to fellowship. Fellowship. It appears that many churches, you just can't just make it across the board. But many churches are about in and out. Don't want to talk to anybody. Don't want to get to know anybody. Don't want to hear your story. Don't want to get involved. Don't ask me any questions. Just sort of in and out, big crowd, big groups. It doesn't have to be personal. That's not what it was when the Spirit moved on the day of Pentecost. They devoted themselves to fellowship. Now, small groups that we talk about a lot here at Kentwood, it's just one way, but it is a way that we are focusing on fellowship. Gathering once a week in each other's home, sharing food together, sharing life, telling stories, getting to know each other, praying for one another, being connected and involved, being around people that care about you at Yet so many don't have that. They're just sort of going along life on their own. Sort of the Lone Ranger Christianity mentality. But the early church, the church gathering that devoted itself to the Scriptures, they devoted themselves to fellowship. And to devote yourself to fellowship is to devote yourself to one another. And we can't devote ourselves to everybody in a congregation, but we can devote it to a group of people. We can have lots of brothers and sisters in Christ that are friends, but you can only be devoted to so many people. You can only reach out to so many people in a given week that you care about and say, what's going on in your life today? Where are you at in Scripture? What have you been praying about? What do you need me to pray about for you. You know, sometimes our conversations, they're just not very deep. They're not spiritual. We talk about football or, or basketball or all these other activities, and, and that's good and right and has a place in our lives. But to talk to someone 
that you love, that's your sister or brother in the Lord. How are you doing? How is your walk with Jesus? What are you battling? That's a whole different conversation. And so often, because we have that conversation so little, it makes us feel uncomfortable and you know that's not to say you do anything to be a busy body, to learn information. It is that you're connected with somebody and you care what's going on in their lives. Give you an example of just one. We have an 84-year-old man that's been a dedicated member of this congregation named Bill Haynes. We all know Bill. Bill has reached a point in his health and, and mental capacity that he can no longer be at his house. So he is staying at Rehoboth Gardens out on 108th and Burlingame. And he's having a hard time. Misses his home, wants to be in his home, but he just can't be in his home any longer. Now, you don't know that, probably, because you don't know Bill. But because Bill's in my circle, I know that. And to hear a man that's struggling with life, last Thursday said, you know, Patrick, I'm just, I'm ready to go home. I miss my wife, Jerry, who passed away last year. I miss her. I, I struggle. I, I know this is the best place for me, but I'm ready to be six foot under with his words. And I know some other people that's in his circle, like Ken Kennedy or, or John Casto, a couple of our elders, Duke Gray, that are, that are visiting him there. He gets a visit once or twice a week from us. But that's, that's, that's fellowship. That's the fellowship that he needs because you're there completely for him. And you're there to encourage him. And you're there to pray with him. And you're there to read a scripture to him. And I think that's really and truly in microcosm what we all need for our lives and need those kinds of people in our lives whether we understand it or think it. We need it. And that's why the stress, they devoted themselves to fellowship. Are you devoted to fellowship? The fellowship of brothers and sisters in Christ. Because it is when you bring the Word of God and that fellowship and that community together, great and wonderful things happen. Uh, they broke bread together, but here specifically it is communion. It is the Lord's Supper. It is remembering what Jesus has done, just like we did earlier. We take this piece of bread. It represents His body given for each and every one of us. And then we take that cup and we drink it, and it represents the blood of Christ that has cleansed us from our sins. And it represents the community of believers coming together, according to Paul in 1 Corinthians 11. Coming together to celebrate 
the Christian community in relation to what God has done for that community. So we break bread. I've known people in the South that are so legalistic that the most important thing to them was the Lord's Supper. They could skip the singing. They could skip the sermon. And so what we would do is we'd put communion at the very end. So we'd make them go through. <laughs> but then they just come at the end, right? But you see, whenever I eat my bread and I drink my little cup, I do it, yes, in one respect. This is me and you, Lord. But I really do think about my brothers and sisters in this church family that are eating it and drinking it, the relationships that I have with them. And that is breaking the bread. And it's important. But it's all important. So devoted to Scripture, devoted to fellowship, devoted to the breaking of bread, and devoted to prayer. There's not a a faster way to empty a church than to have a prayer meeting. I mean, that's a fact. We're going to have a prayer meeting. See you Thursday. I've got plans. And I sometimes have felt the same way. But you know, the, the prayer of the community is the community coming before the Lord. As Mike prayed for the offering, as Mike prayed for communion, we all hopefully were joining him in prayer to our God. Like I said last week, gently, right? 1045, worship service starts. And we need to really try to adjust to that because we want everyone to be a part of the call to worship, the scripture reading. But you know, you're not here because of me. You're not here because of the worship team. You're here because the Lord has called you to not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. You are here to worship the Lord. Worshiping of the Lord is not about an individual or group of people that are up front. It's about those people pointing you to Jesus to see the cross and to tell you, hopefully, what the Scriptures truly say. And so, devoted to the Scriptures, devoted to fellowship, devoted to the Lord's Supper, and devoted to prayer. Those are the four things that we see God bringing the early church together to be a part of. And I pray, and I hope that the Spirit moves on you and impresses on your spirit the importance of all these things. I'm going to out my sister a little bit because she loves the Lord and and she'll tell you, and she does. You go into her house, there's one wall. It's been there for the last at least 20 years, if not 25. She writes with magic marker in her bathroom scriptures. And, you know, it's like, you really want to mess up your house like that? And she'll put this and tape it on. I mean, it's not like it's put up there pretty. It's like, Psalm this and Psalm that and Colossians this, but it's right there by the bathroom stool and she wanted her kids seeing it, seeing it, seeing it, seeing it, being reminded of it. So, and it, and it worked evidently, you know, her, her kids are believers. But I remember her telling me that 
that just the church in southern Illinois had lost interest, interest on the Wednesday night service. So the church leadership decided we're going to cancel the Wednesday night church gathering for Bible study. We'll just do small groups, Sunday morning worship, and we're going to cancel it. Now, she hadn't been to a Wednesday night Bible study since she was probably in grade school. This can't be. They can't do it. You've got to have it. It's got to be offered. I said, you don't even go. What are you getting all so up in the air and row? You don't even go. Well, someone might come. The church family sees events like a night of worship and fellowship as an opportunity to come together again in the same day and sing some more praise to God. To go out into the atrium and start building relationships with people that you might not know. It's harder today to get to know people. In the old days, that's what older people say, us young people, we don't... In the old days, you came to church Sunday morning, you came to church Sunday night, you came to church Wednesdays, and sometimes prayer, and then others choir. And you would, you'd see people enough that, I know your name, I know your name, what's going on? Let's go out and get some ice cream after church. We don't do that in the world anymore, and I don't think we're better for it. Because the church is truly community. And so I pray that you will just join me in asking the Lord for anybody and everybody that walks in our doors, visitors or members, that there will be on our hearts a strong desire to be community and to love each other, and to celebrate with each other. And when someone is going through a difficult time to grieve or even mourn or cry with them, because that is what the church really looks like that God wants established in the communities. But it's looking less and less like that across the country because of the attitude, I want it, We should have it, but I'm never going to it. Everyone was filled with awe, many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Now, what does that translate for us? In our small groups, we have what's called God moments. It's where people in the group share as they begin their small group, this is what I saw, experienced God do in my life. Because that's what they were experiencing when they were coming together in devotion to the Word, in fellowship, in breaking bread through communion and prayer. It just opened up this great door of seeing God work. 
and seeing the power of God that was working through, yes, his apostles, but they saw the power of God. And so whenever we collectively are coming together with those four things being a part of our fellowship, we see God work and we share God working in our lives. And there's nothing more powerful than to see God working in someone's life and to hear people excited about it and share a God moment, what He has done for them in their life. I think of Dave and Darcy Aldbear right here. I was in their small group for a while. They sold their house. Couldn't find a house to buy. Didn't six months go by? Six months, and it's like, oh, we're going to rent a house because we need to get in something back in the neighborhood where we sold our house. They were like losing the patience, like, Lord, how long? What are you doing? Why is it not happening? And then... The house came through, a little country house that they just absolutely love. That was a God moment. And it's sort of great to get to share that with them and hear they're so excited. God has delivered and opened this door. Now, we all have those, but we all keep them to ourselves. We are to encourage one another. Daily, We are to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And we do that by sharing the goodness of God in our lives. Oh, the fellowship is so, so important. But that's what that is. God moves whenever we act as the church is to act. All the believers were together and had everything in common. You know, in this early movement, it was just, it was all about the Lord. It was all about what does it take to honor the Lord. We're together, we'll do whatever it takes. What's mine is yours and what's yours is mine. We, we just share and we help each other out and we come alongside of each other. When we see a need that's a genuine need, we're willing to meet that need and help. Do we have everything in common because that is a mark of the church they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need they just were selfless every day they continued to meet in the temple courts they broke bread in their homes and that is sharing life and being in one of those homes more than likely to eat together more fellowship and they did it with glad and sincere hearts. So I'm going to stop there. And I'm just going to ask you, does that look like your life? Does it look like your walk with the Lord? And if it doesn't, or if it does, but there's some areas that you really need to concentrate on more, let us all do it together. Because I think what Jesus Christ did in giving his life, that painful, agonizing death on the cross, it is worth any sacrifice that we can make. And any sacrifice that we make, we will be blessed. And our God will be honored. Heavenly Father, we just ask that you'll be with us now. Oh, Lord, that uh, 
this passage of Scripture out of Acts 2.42 will speak to each one of us and that we will make deeper commitments and dedication to your church and our place in it. Lord, as we get ready to, to sing and praise your name, our prayer teams will be scattered throughout this church. And if anyone here, Lord, has a prayer, we pray that they will go seek out a prayer team member who will partner with them in all these things. But we humble ourselves before you, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Let us all stand and worship the Lord together.